podcast as part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing and a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast. Tonight, covering MLB playoffs, specifically the National League side of the bracket. No Periscope tonight, so you guys have found us through your respective apps. The uh, Yankees, uh, excuse me, the Astros and the Rays did, however, wrap up their series tonight. Uh, six to one Astros over the Rays to set up an epic series with the New York Yankees. With me tonight, uh, Matt Clark. Matt, how are you? Good, thank you. Ready to uh, flex your MLB wide muscles? Absolutely. We don't get to do that uh, too often outside of series previews and. You know, we did throughout July, you know, as we approached the trade deadline. So I'm really excited to uh, to do this uh, show tonight. Uh, the National League side of the playoff bracket has been extremely thrilling and um, a lot of surprises. So we'll get right to it. We do have a Washington Nationals blogger on with us as well as a St. Louis Cardinals blogger and podcaster. Uh, So we'll start out with the Nationals. We have Matt Wyrick from federalbaseball.com, which is under the SB Nation banner. Matt, how are you? Pretty good, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, glad to have you. And uh, nice to get that monkey off your back, isn't it? One hundred percent. And it's been a long time coming for DC fans who only got over the the playoff hump uh, just a few years ago with the Caps uh, making that Stanley Cup run. So other than that, it's been uh, pretty terrible for the for the fan base overall. So uh, for baseball fans, this is pretty big. All you had to do, man, was just get rid of Bryce Harper. You would have got there way sooner. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of different things that went into it for sure. But, um, you know, I'm sure Harper is sitting at home with the, you know, oh, I wish my ex wasn't doing so well feeling. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, also joining us from birdsontheblack.com covering the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, Kyle Reese. How are you, Kyle? I'm doing very well, sir. How are you? Not too bad. You know, baseball-wise, you know, my team sucks. But, you know, it's better for baseball for, you know, the Red Sox to get out of the way sometimes. And, you know, the Yankees were out of the way for a little while. That was nice for me personally. 
But, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm a baseball guy, and I've enjoyed every bit of it. I've probably only missed a couple of games, uh, you know, throughout the playoffs. I've been fortunate enough to see most of it. But must be nice to be, you know, winning the division again. You know, the Cubs, you know, getting what they deserve and out of your way, and you're going to play a league championship series here. Yeah, there's a lot of relief there for us uh, as Cardinal fans and Cardinal bloggers. We're, we're a spoiled bunch. I don't think there's any getting around that. Uh, <laughs> we've had a lot of success over the last 15 years or so, if not longer than that. And uh, it, it feels good to be back here after three years of not being in the playoffs. You, you know, even now, there's still a lot of, like, resentment and a lot of a, a lot of just general excitement in the fan base in every meaning of the word excitement, uh, whether it be just like aggressive excitement or just jubilation excitement uh, in the fan base, we're just happy to be back. And uh, I think puzzled by the nationals club, which, you know, I just, I just did the prospects after dark show that I did, by the way, I'm somewhat drunk. I apologize for slurring my words. Warren <laughs> as I am. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it was really interesting during the little show that I do called Prospects After Dark to watch the Cardinals' reaction to the Nationals because I don't think that they, the Cardinal fan reaction, because I don't think they know what to think of the Nationals. And it's really interesting, too, because, we, you know, the Cardinals just played the Nationals three weeks ago. And I, I just, I, it's a really, really interesting dynamic and a really great matchup. And I feel like if I wasn't a Cardinal fan or a National fan, We'd be set up for an amazing, amazing NLCS, and that as a baseball fan, you can't ask for much more than that. I love the matchup too. I I love the pitching on both sides. You know, specifically the rotations, and um, we will uh, dive into that. But before we do talk about the actual championship series, I just want to get your thoughts, uh, both of you, on uh, the divisional series that you just completed. Both of you were down two to one, and you know had a really stressful series. And uh, I guess, uh, Matt, we'll, uh, we'll talk about your Nationals real quick. So how did you feel about being up against the Dodgers who had gone to back-to-back World Series? And I'm not going to lie, I thought they were the bona fide favorite to win it all this year, you know, based on how they played in the, in the first half. And, and really, I mean, I, I didn't really think that, the, you know, the Dodgers – had really slipped a whole lot outside of, you know, maybe a, a few, uh, you know, bullpen blips. But how did you feel about the, uh, you know, the series with them coming into it once you got past the wild card? And uh, what were your expectations? Well, you know, the Nats have been underdogs all season long. Everybody's talked about how through the first 50 games, you know, they went 19 and 31 and, May 24th was the turnaround, and since then, they've, they've really been a different team. But to put things in perspective, after May 23rd, the Nationals went on a 107-win pace the rest of the year. That's all of June, July, August, and September that they were on a pace for 107 wins in this season. The Dodgers won 106 games. So to say that you know it was a daunting task, that's absolutely correct. But this team has been playing as well as anybody you know over the past four months, so... 
I think a lot of fans were cautiously optimistic about this team. And uh, as the games went on, you know, they fall down 2-1. And certainly, you know, having your back against the wall like that is not a preferable position by any means. But this is a Nats team that's that's thrived under pressure, that's thrived being behind. I mean, in years past, all four NLDS series that the Nats lost uh, and did not advance, they coasted to division titles. I mean, it was it was a very easy cakewalk for most of the year. They never had any kind of division race. They certainly weren't the wild card team. So the fact that they were having to play for their lives right away into the playoffs kind of gave them that chip on their shoulder where you didn't really feel all that worried when the Nats fell behind. And even in game five, they were down three to one entering the eighth and, you know, six outs to play. Certainly not an enviable position, but I felt like the fan base, you know, saw the heart of the order coming up and thought, you know what, the, the magic it's not out yet. So, uh, you know, uh, the Dodgers were a daunting task, but the Nats matched up well with the pitching and they had the guys in the middle of the lineup to do it. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think it was a it was a really good matchup and one that, you know, maybe the Nationals didn't get the credit they deserved in their series. My kind of, not that I was insanely emotionally invested in the Nationals. I, I were rooting for them, don't get me wrong, but my kind of like doomsday moment in the series was, I think it was game three when Corbin comes in and just kind of scuffles and the game just got completely out of hand. And I don't know how you felt about Scherzer in the wild card game, but I thought that was a terrible choice given the fact that he'd given up 12 earned runs in his last three starts. I thought he was scuffling. I thought Strasburg was more the sure thing, and Scherzer didn't look bad. He did give up a few runs early, only went five innings. There was a lot of talk of seven innings, 115 pitches, and so as Corbin was struggling, I was thinking to myself, oh man, you know, Scherzer's really going to have to have it in game four to to get yeah. them to game five. Did Were you concerned about Scherzer's start in game four? I mean, to be honest, I don't think it was more concern. I think it was kind of a feeling of, of high expectations where you said, all right, Max, you know, you've had some shaky postseason performances in the past. You know, he hasn't necessarily been the lockdown guy. He hasn't been a Kershaw by any means in which he's been a goat in the playoffs, but certainly has had uh, his fair share of ups and downs in the past. But, you know, in, in game four, you thought, okay, this is this is the time, Max. This is where you have to step up and, and be the guy that you're being paid to be. They didn't hand him $210 million to win a couple of Cy Youngs. They did it so that he could pitch them deep into the playoffs. And so, you know, I wouldn't say I was concerned. Uh, he certainly wasn't showing his full self uh down the stretch and uh he actually he was relied on you know we talked about how he needed to go at least seven innings that was something he hadn't done uh in two months he hadn't gone seven innings in two months and he hadn't gone seven innings against the contender in three so you know that was definitely you know an area of concern where you thought okay uh, can we rely on him here but at the end of the day what choice did the nationals have uh you know strasburg obviously wasn't going to be pitching in that game so scherzer was going to be the guy and at the end of the day, if he's being paid to do it, you've got to be able to rely on him. He was phenomenal, and I, I was glad that you know he, you know, fit fit the bill and you know lived up to his full potential that game. It, it was fun to watch. Uh, one more thing before I move over to the Cardinals, uh, who surprised you the most? What was the most surprising aspect, if anything comes to mind? You know. Um, I would say that probably Michael A. Taylor's performance, you know, Victor Robles, 
uh, hurts his hamstring and forces Taylor, who spent a majority of the season in the minor leagues, uh, into a starting role. And I, I think it was the right move by Davey to put him in there, uh, considering how little drop-off of a defensive player he is compared to Robles. Robles should win a gold glove this year, there's no doubt about it, but Taylor uh, is just up there as well uh, in terms of his potential. And you know, Robles was hitting seventh in the order at the time. We weren't expecting him to really be you know, the guy offensively, so it'd be okay if Taylor slotted in and, and kind of struggled at the plate. But he actually ended up having a few key at-bats uh, there in the series, uh, drew some important walks, had a couple of hits, so... Uh, very impressed with the approach that he had at the plate. He's always seemed to do well in the postseason, but you know that that's always uh, a, a bit of a blip sometimes. Uh, so you know to see him carry over that success, it was good to see. Okay, and uh, Kyle. So getting over to your Cardinals, your path into the playoffs was a little different. Didn't have to sweat out a one-game wild card, but what were your own expectations going in there against the Braves? And, um, you know, and, you know, how, how it played out. I, I felt pretty confident that if Jack Flaherty got to throw two starts, the Cardinals would come away with two wins. Uh, nothing against Soroka or Keigel or Fultonavich or, you know, the Atlanta Braves have a really good pitching staff. But watching what Jack Flaherty did in the second half of this season, it was historical. You know, he historical ERA numbers, historical K numbers. It, it was something that transcended average baseball. So I think we all felt that if we got deep into the series, especially with Jack Flaherty having the potential to pitch at game five, that the Cardinals had the edge regardless of who they were playing or who the starting pitcher for Atlanta was. My prediction at the beginning was Cardinals in five, but it went the opposite direction that I imagined it going. You know, Cardinals won game one, they lost game two, they lost game three, they won game four, and they won game five. And I would have flipped that entire thing. So what I'm trying to tell you, again, is I am really, really stupid. Uh, But also what I'm trying to tell you is that the Cardinals have this ability to, just like the Nationals, and this is part of the reason why this series, to me, is a complete crapshoot, just like the Nationals, they have the ability to just, they're like Rocky. It's, you, you get them in the rope oak and they fight their way out. It's almost like they do their best work when their back is against the wall. And, you know, Matt brought up some great points about the Nationals being on a 107 win pace after May 23rd. The Cardinals had a, an abysmal May. They were like 9-18 and 18 in May or something crazy like that. But outside of May, they were 74-53. and 53. They had one bad month and they were a really good team. Uh, So, uh, you know, to answer your question about entering the Brave series, to me, I'm the kind of person who views every postseason series as a complete crapshoot. Every team goes in with the 50% chance of winning. Other than that, like, my expectations were if you got to a Game 5, the Cardinals were going to win because they had Jack Flaherty. And I just think Jack Flaherty has taken that next step, and he's the difference maker. Now, that's where it gets really interesting for the Cardinals is they'll start Miles Michaelis in Game 1, who had a really, really good Game 1 against the Braves. They'll start Adam Wainwright in Game 2, who had an amazing Game 4 against the Braves, but or amazing Game 3 against the Braves. I'm sorry about that. An amazing Game 3 against the Braves, but ended up having some bullpen issues and who only pitches well at home, and they'll get him at home. And it's just like, 
things seem to be lining up well for the Cardinals in this series, even if they weren't lined up particularly well uh, for for themselves in the Braves series. So, you know, I I don't know what to think. I, I would say for me personally, while it didn't line up exactly how I thought it would against the Braves, the series ended up playing out in the long haul how I thought it would. The Cardinals got lucky because Freddie Freeman was compromised. You could see it. Uh, and somehow Andrew Miller managed to make Freddie Freeman look bad. And I don't think that he's going to have that same kind of success uh, against Soto in particular. But it, it's something we're going to have to wait and see. But, like, it, it's it's all about timing. These series are all about timing. And with the Nationals being having things roll their way at the right time and the Cardinals having things roll away, their way at the right time, it just seems like a, a perfect series to predict, like, a seven-game knock them out series. And, you know, the, the Braves are a weird team for me. I don't know enough about the Braves. I don't feel like even studying the Braves, like I have a feel for them. But uh, I, I would say that the Cardinals-Braves series played out about how you would think it would, but also with, like, weird stuff that happened, too. I certainly, I mean, if you had any questions about the starting pitching... You know, everyone stepped up. I mean, not one of them really had a bad outing, like you said. You know, and Michaelis, you know, no real postseason experience, none for Flaherty. Wainwright's, you know, been there, done that, has played in a World Series. So at least you know that you do have a full, you know, rotation that that can handle, you know, a pressure-packed series. And... I was really intrigued by it, and I I picked you guys to beat the Braves. I thought your rotation was just a little bit better, and and like you said, you know Jack Flaherty is just <laughs> guy's a beast. I love the name Jack Flaherty too. It sounds like it's straight out of the 1950s. Like if I didn't know who he was, and some old guy was like, "Yeah, Jack Flaherty struck out DiMaggio." Three out of four at bats in the 1952 World Series. I'd be like, "Oh, Jack Flaherty must have been a great guy," you know. And I don't know. I just I like him a lot. Yeah, but, one time Jack Flaherty knocked John Wayne out on a spaghetti western. Like that's what you expect to hear when you hear the name. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, I've got a question on Flaherty though. Last night, you know, obviously they're up uh, ten nothing. Do you do you sit them or you go? Did they did they make the right move or should they have opted to <laughs> rest him and go game one or are they good uh, with game three and game seven? Which is a better set uh, setup for them? They seem pretty thrilled with game three, game seven. You know, my thought about that is this is the ultimate fan versus manager comment, right? The the ultimate fan versus manager like. You're sitting on your couch or you're sitting in the dugout. Because if you're sitting in the dugout, you're not taking any chances. There's no way you're pulling Jack Flaherty. You know, he's prepared for this game. There's no way. But as I sat on my little recliner there and ate my chicken fajitas, I thought to myself, man, there's no way I'd march him out there for the first inning. There's no way. I mean, okay, okay. I'll march him out there for the first inning and maybe he throws 20 pitches and then I pull him and we start him game one or game two. But... Uh, you know, you don't want to be the manager who blew the 10-run first inning lead. That uh, you, you can't do it. You just can't do it. Flaherty was on his his normal 
his normal setup, his normal routine. And, like, as a fan of baseball, I think I would have been a little bit more aggressive about pulling him with the intent of using him in Game 2. But at the same time, as someone who I, I'm one of the Cardinals fans who have been critical of Mike Schilt, where a lot of people haven't been, uh, I I understand and appreciate what Mike Schilt was doing. It, I I coach Little League Baseball. I am the Mike Matheny of Cardinal Twitter. And I, I coach Little League Baseball, and there's no way in that situation, a chance to move to the next round, that I'm pulling my best pitcher, uh, even with a huge lead. Now, I will say that I would have been – maybe a little bit more aggressive, especially because the Cardinals have a pitcher in their bullpen named Daniel Ponce de Leon, who is only there to pitch in long relief situations. Uh, and he has only pitched once or twice since September 2nd. I think it, the Cardinals would have done well to have used him in a couple of innings yesterday, and they didn't. I think that might actually backfire in the long run. Uh, but other than that, like I get what they were doing. As a fan, I sat there and I questioned it. But putting myself in Mr. Shields' position, there's no way I would have gone any other direction than to just use Jack Flaherty for as long as I could. I wondered if maybe they might switch to Mike Liss, but you know, the, you know, there's a lot of prep pregame, and you know, I, the the more the game went into it, I, the more I thought Flaherty was the the right call you know to just kind of stick with him for at least four or five innings I think and I think he went six but uh, yeah and hell of a locker room speech by Mike Schilt <laughs> yeah you know the thing about Mike Schilt too is that so I've got this whole thing with Mike Schilt I, I, I've been fascinated with that guy since he was in the, a coach in the minor leagues and I follow like for the birds on the black I write about the minor leagues, so I've known about this guy as a manager at Johnson City, which is the rookie one of the rookie level teams. He is he just looks like a normal dude. Like if you saw him, you would think, oh, he's the guy who delivers mail to me. Probably a couple hours later than he should, or you would you would see him and you think like that guy kind of looks like the guy who gave me the wrong paint sample at Home Depot. Like that's my <laughs> show. His arms are skinny. They're super broomsticky. Uh, he, he's like he's just a weird kind of like super chill calm dude whenever you hear him talk you're like yeah man just if you talk to me at like three o'clock in the morning I'd actually be able to get to sleep uh, <laughs> but to hear him lose his mind was the coolest thing ever so I understand why people got upset about the expl the expletive laden tirade or whatever you want to call it he went on but as Cardinal fans were like holy cow this guy actually has real emotions so it was. It was cool to see, and uh, you know, I'm a fan of the F word, so I'll I'll keep my own bias out of this from here on out. I I was thinking if there's a Goodfellas two or a Godfather four, he has to have a part. He has to have <laughs> he has to have a scene where they go and shake down some mobster or something. Like he'd be perfect for that. But getting into the uh, the actual championship series here, we'll uh, kick it back over to the Nationals here. Um, Matt, so how is the rotation, uh, you know, going to be laid out? Like, how does it fall in line after a game five? And, and how do you feel about it? Well, they're going to be rolling with Anibal Sanchez uh, in game one. He's going to be on regular rest. So they're going to be feeling pretty good about that. Davey Martinez has called their rotation the big four all year. He considers Sanchez to be part of that core group of guys which is actually i was surprised that he didn't use him 
uh, in game five and, and save Corbin for the first game. I thought that we might be seeing Sanchez considering uh, he's a right-hander uh, against maybe that second half of the lineup where they, they're a little bit thin on lefties. Uh, but nope, we, we had them use Corbin. Davey wasn't taking any chances at all. Uh, so we'll be seeing Sanchez in game one. Uh, but he said in the past that he's comfortable with pitching him on the road in a playoff game. So uh, certainly, you know, he did pretty well in that game four um, or excuse me, game three um, before the bullpen exploded and Corbin came in and everything, you know, went downhill. Uh, but then after that, he has Davey hasn't announced exactly how he's going to roll things out. But with everybody on regular rest, it's going to figure to be Scherzer for game two. Strasburg for game three and then Corbin for game four uh, and then you can you know have the option of going max uh, on short rest for game five if needed or you can go Sanchez again and if you do go Sanchez for the fifth game then you'll have Scherzer and Strasburg to close things out with Corbin kind of being your bullpending guy once again so you know I think that you know you have to play four games and it doesn't necessarily matter who starts which game i know the, the pressure and the, the honor of starting game one of a playoff series is important but when you're the nats and you you have to use your starters in the bullpen throughout a five game series just to win it you know you don't really have the luxury of being able to lay it out like that so uh it, it landed how it landed and, and i don't think the nats are upset about it and you know i'm not really either this isn't the first game one in a championship series for Sanchez. He pitched a one-hitter against the Red Sox with the Tigers 2013. Got the win in that game. So he's been in this uh, situation before. I'm a little surprised Corbin's all the way back to uh, game four. Do you think there might have been you know, a little bit of confidence lost where he did kind of scuffle a little bit with the Dodgers I noticed he wasn't getting a lot of swings and misses on certain pitches you know the uh, Dodgers were just kind of laying off of those and a lot of them you know weren't coming in as strikes so is you know is there any apprehension there or are you not really worried about it I mean I think that the reason Corbin is going game four is so that they can use uh, Strasburg and Scherzer on normal rest for games six and seven if needed. Um, but at the same time with Corbin, you know, he, you know, he's working when his slider is getting those swings and misses. Like you said, it really wasn't generating all that much action. Uh, and, you know, it's his patented pitch. It's what made him successful. And so if he doesn't have a feel for it, it's going to be a long night for him for sure. Uh, but he looked great in relief with the slider. It's what he got Corey Seager uh, swinging on uh, to close out his outing um, in in game five. And so, yeah, I mean, Corbin's been a bit of a hit or miss this season. He has had a couple of blowups that were pretty pretty bad, not going to lie. Uh, and it does give you pause about pitching him in big games. But uh, we've also seen him at his best plenty of times. And he honestly was pretty reliable. He led the team uh, in quality starts this year. Uh, so going at least six innings, three earned runs or less, you know, it, it, you'll take that in a playoff game any day and turn things over uh, for the last three innings to your bullpen slash whichever starter happens to be uh, available that night. So, you know, I, I'm not necessarily worried about Corbin. Uh, honestly, not really worried about any of the pitchers uh, in the rotation at this point. It's just more to me the fact that, you know, the Nats bullpen is historically bad. Uh, the worst ever bullpen ERA for a team to, to make the playoffs in MLB history. And in a five-game series, you can kind of get away with only using two guys, three guys. I mean, we saw Tanner Rainey make an appearance in game five, which was honestly pretty surprising to me. 
Um, but at the same time, in a seven-game series, you're going to have to use a couple of more pitchers uh, in order to get through those games because you're going to be gassed by game four, game five, uh, to the point where you know you, you get into that sixth, seventh game and you're not going to be able, you're not going to have anybody at your disposal. So either the Nats' offense is really going to need to turn things up uh, and create some separation in, in a few games so that they don't need to rely on their starters to go as deep, maybe, uh, or you know some bullpen guys are going to have to step up, whether that be Rainey or Fernando Rodney or Hunter Strickland, whoever it is. Uh, they're going to be probably relied on to get some important outs. Hudson had a pretty good, you know, series. I noticed, and a Doolittle was facing what was it, lefties, for the most part. For the most part, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're going to get to the Cardinals here. I don't think uh, Kyle is too comfortable with Carlos Martinez right now, but. Uh, it, it could be, you know, it does have the potential to be, you know, an explosive uh, series in the in the late innings. But uh, I, so, Kyle, we'll kick it back over to your uh, starting rotation. Now, you already went through it here. You're going to have, let's see, Michaelis game one, is it? Well, go ahead. Go go through it one more time. Yeah, it'll be Miles Michaelis game one. Yeah. Uh, Adam Wayne. Jack Flaherty game three and Dakota Hudson game four and the Cardinals just like uh, in the, the NLDS Dakota Hudson who had a very good rookie campaign will end up having the potential to throw bullpen innings in game one and potentially game two if things get weird but uh, yeah right now that's the rotation and how, I mean, I'm not familiar with Hudson. I, I obviously I'm familiar with Anibal Sanchez, you know, and I, I think, you know, the Nationals have a, a pretty stout one through four. But you know, how how was Hudson throughout this uh, season, and how do you think he'll handle a playoff start, especially being a rookie? So more than likely, Dakota Hudson will be a top five finisher in the NL Rookie of the Year voting. Uh, you know, that's that always ends up being a fun thing. Uh, anyways, he, he had a 3.35 ERA throughout the season. Dakota Hudson makes his money by putting the ball on the ground. He is an extreme ground ball pitcher, uh, two-seamer slider type pitcher. His two-seamer, early in the year when he struggled, Yadier Molina was calling on the two-seamer way too much, uh, not going to his slider. Cause, so the other fun thing is, nowadays baseball – it, we have a tendency to like marginalize the slider cutter. The slider and the cutter end up being the same pitch. But Dakota Hudson throws a slider and a cutter. Two completely different pitches, kind of like Adam Adovino, where Adam Adovino throws two different types. And sliders are. Uh, they're both very good pitches, uh, but one's a cutter, one's a slider, and he has two seam, and he also throws a curveball. Uh, but uh, so the thing with Dakota Hudson is he keeps the ball on the ground a lot. He's a really interesting component, and he's actually kind of like the Cardinals version of Annabelle Sanchez. They kind of do the same, like similar type things. It's just that Hudson does it to an extreme with the ground balls. Uh, a very good rookie campaign. He had a very good start uh, in the DS. He only went four and two thirds of an innings. He's not a high strikeout guy. He's not going to strike out a lot of guys. But he's got he's he's a solid a, a solid fourth starter a solid number three who if you need to use him early in the game to try to get a double play 
you, you might not be able to find a better pitcher in any of the two series left that have the cali- that have the ability to get a double play like he does. He just he's an extreme ground ball pitcher, and that's his his forte. And outside of that, like, Miles Michaelis had a rough game one in the first inning and got out of it relatively unscathed. I believe he only let up one run in that first inning, but had the bases loaded. Uh, first game in the DS against the Braves. And just pitched out of it. The, the knock on Miles Michaelis is that his his curve-slider combination has been off all year. Uh, and that's why he's had a less successful 2019 as opposed to a 2018. And other than that, Adam Wainwright pitching at home, I don't think a Cardinal fan worries about that. If you had to pitch on the road, I think we'd all be freaking out about it. But he gets to pitch at home, and, and that's a big plus for whatever reason. Adam Wainwright, Adam Wainwright pitches amazing at home. Uh, and then, like I said, there's Jack Flaherty, who everyone at this point knows about as the national broadcast glow and glow about him. So that's pretty much the Cardinals' rotation, and that's how they'll handle it moving into the CS. Yeah, and uh, Wainwright does have a sub uh, three ERA uh, at home, and it's probably it might be approaching the the mid twos after that epic uh, game two performance. But uh, that was kind of spoiled by Carlos Martinez, and you in the opening kind of voiced some concerns about Andrew Miller, so. How concerned are you about the bullpen in general? I'm really excited to get uh, Carlos Martinez away from Ronald Acuna. Uh, that, <laughs> uh, Carlos Martinez, had, there's a section of the Cardinals fan base that has always had a problem with Carlos Martinez, and they view him as, quote-unquote, a head case. Now, he is a competitor. He made it to the major leagues at a very young age. Uh, he was always a solid starting pitcher. He's dealt with arm issues, and that's why he's pitching out of the Cardinals' bullpen this year. He was one of the more successful save artists, if you will, in August and September. Uh, he, he, he was he, uh, 24, 29 saves or something like that. He had a really, really good com- completion rate, we'll call it, on, on the save opportunities. And up until the ALDS with the whole Ronald Acuna thing and then blowing kisses kisses at Billy Hamilton, that was very out of character of him, even the emotional competitor that he is. Now, entering game four, I was I was very against pitching him. He blew game three. He made an ass I don't know, pardon me, pardon my language. He blew an he made an ass out of himself in game three. A complete ass. Just on so many different levels. Uh, and when Acuna, Acuna got into his head in game one, it was over at that point. But something happened in between game three and four, and Acuna got a double against him to, to lead off uh, game four uh, in, in that appearance. And then he seemed to, to rein it in. It was like he, he flipped the script and was the Carlos Martinez that we saw in August, in July, in September. So... You know, to answer your question, am I nervous about Carlos Martinez? Yes. As long as there isn't somebody that he wants to fight as they walk down first base, I, I am I'm fine with him. I don't think he's going to be an issue. I think the issue, similar to what my, my interpretation is of the Nationals, is trying to get to Carlos Martinez. How do they get to Carlos Martinez? Uh, I, I think Martinez is fine. I think seeing him work through it in Game 4 was a huge positive. A plus, I just worry about the Cardinals' options leading up into him. Or, 
if Car, if 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 Mr. Soto or Mr. Rendon or Mr. Eaton or Mr. Turner or or Mr. Taylor or any any of the players on the Nationals decide to pimp a home run, how he might react to that. Uh, but it, as long as there isn't any type of wanting to fight someone in the middle of a baseball field, I don't have any concerns about Carlos Martinez at all. I think they're a little bit overblown. But uh, that's that's Carlos Martinez in a nutshell right now. Uh, a little a little side note about Carlos Martinez, I, and I haven't been able to get the exact information of it. You know, he he kind of grew up in a broken home in the Dominican Republic, and the rumor has been that in the last couple months, one of his like mother figures has passed away, and that's part of the reason why he's had trouble corralling his emotions. Now, again, this could all be hearsay. I don't know for sure, uh, but. Uh, that's why, to me, to watch him rein in his emotions, especially after Acuna uh, had the big double at, at the beginning of his appearance of Game 4, to see him rein in the emotions, to not get emotional after that, I'm not as concerned about him as maybe some other Cardinal fans are. Well, I mean, hopefully that's that's not an issue for him. Um, you know, I... I you know, I just, I just want to see a, you know, an epic, competitive. I just want to see more of what we've seen throughout the uh, the last week or so in the ALDS, uh, NLDS series. Excuse me, <laughs> I'm, on, I'm still, uh, you know, Red Sox oriented. Um, one interesting note, though, if you remember the 2015 World Series, Edinson Volquez was set to pitch Game One, and he did pitch Game One for the Royals and his father had passed away that day and they didn't tell him they sent him out to pitch. And, uh, I don't remember. I think they won that game, but, uh, that was against the, uh, Mets, but, but yeah, so it's kind of, you know, unfortunate that those things happen, you know, the way that they do, but, uh, getting, uh, back over to the nationals now, I, I'm not going to lie. I like the Nationals lineup a little bit better. I think it's a little bit more robust. You know, Trey Turner, uh, Rendon had a very good series, hit a home run uh, off of uh, Kershaw late in Game 5. Soto has had a big series, I think. Well, actually, is Robles going to be available this series or no? The expectation is that he'll be good to go uh, by game one, that he was available to pinch hit in an emergency situation, uh, but they'd rather, they didn't feel like the drop off was too significant and that the defense was the most important thing in center field. So uh, I think that we'll be seeing him in game one, as well as Kurt Suzuki, uh, for that matter, who had that scary uh, hit to the face uh, in that game five and had to be taken out and kind of went off of his wrist and hit him in the hand. He got an x-ray on his wrist and is in concussion protocol, but all signs apparently seem to be pointing toward him being uh, the game one starter, which is important because he's been uh, Anibal Sanchez's personal catcher, not just this year, but also last year in Atlanta as well. Yeah, and uh, you'll have Adam Eaton out in right field. Um, Ryan Zimmerman was a nice surprise off the bench. I mean, do you expect he'll be continue to be in more of a bench role throughout the course of the postseason? You said Zimmerman? Uh, Zimmerman, correct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a guy who has had, you know, a lot of success when healthy, and that's always kind of been the caveat for him is, 
You know, he's just been dealing with plantar fasciitis this season. So when he was on the field, he really wasn't his complete self. But he's contributing at a, at a good level. And certainly, you know, if you can put Howie Kendrick at second base and start Zimmerman at first, that's your best offensive lineup, uh, in my opinion, uh, rather than, you know, putting Howie at first and, and starting Dozier or, or Estrubal Cabrera. I think that Zimmerman presents the most upside. Uh, he also gives you that big right-handed power bat uh, that it, you can slide in uh, after Juan Soto if needed, or if you want to double up with the righties and go Kendrick Zimmerman, it kind of gives you that flexibility there. So, you know, uh, I'm, I do like what we've seen out of Zimmerman. I don't think he's done yet. He's obviously 35 years old and uh, his, his option is not going to be picked up for next year. So, uh, you know, all the, the people who, who really don't know what they're talking about and have been debating that, uh, it's not going to get picked up. He has a $2 million buyout versus an $18 million salary. There's absolutely no chance in hell that they take that. But they will work out some kind of deal for him to come back on a reduced role, maybe split time with Matt Adams at first base. So they still see him as part of a future. He's a national for life no matter what. Um, I, I don't see that changing just for you know a little bit extra money. Um, but as far as, as this series goes, I absolutely expect him to be in the starting lineup uh, at some point. Maybe not necessarily game one. I'm not sure how Davey is going to go. Uh, with the matchups, but I, I do think that he is going to play a big role. Just super quick while I have you, um, Strasburg has an opt-out, and uh, Rendon is going to be a free agent, already turned down a deal north of uh, $200 million. What are your expectations on them as far as whether they'll be retained or just ultimately uh, you know, move on? Well, uh, I think there are a couple layers to that question, and, and it starts with the top, the ownership group, and that's Mark Lerner, who actually took over for his father, Ted, just a couple of years ago, uh, and I believe it was two now, and ever since he took over, you know, Ted Lerner was, was uh, in the ear of Scott Boris and vice versa for a long time, and there are a lot of Scott Boris clients on the Nationals, just up and down that roster, uh, and, you know, now that Lerner, his son, Mark, uh, has taken over the team. There's been a bit more of an emphasis of, of, of being on a budget. Uh, we, we this for the first year time in four years. The Nationals are underneath the luxury tax in 2019. Uh, you know we didn't have any major deadline deals. It was kind of a, a different approach, and I'm noticing that under Mark Lerner, they might not be as willing to cash out checks. Now that being said, Anthony Rendon is so central to this lineup. You really lose a, a major piece an mvp caliber player if you don't re-sign him and nationals fans you know when harper left they really weren't all that torn up i mean everybody was kind of divided on him in the first place you know some people loved him some people hated him when he did well you know everyone rallied behind him for sure but there was a, a big section of the fan base that was you know happy with letting him walk and he went for an absurd amount of money and even more people thought that he wasn't worth it so at the end of the day they said okay it's fine. You let Harper walk, but you got to re-sign Rendon. And as time has gone on and, and Rendon's had a career year, that noise has only grown and grown. So the fan base pressure is significant. Uh, and they don't, they're obviously with Harper, I mean, excuse me, Zimmerman's contract coming off the books next year. That opens up uh, a good $15 million or so that they don't have to pay uh, that premium price for. So, you know, that money could be going toward a Rendon extension. Now, obviously, he's going to be paid a lot more than $15 million. Uh, but certainly, I think that they're capable of offering something in that Nolan Arenado $260 million ballpark range. So they're going to want deferred money, and it's going to be up to Rendon to see if that's something he wants to do. But 
The Nationals just won the Masson dispute that went on and on for years with the Orioles, and they're getting uh, close to half a million dollar, half a billion dollars uh, for that uh, victory in, in court. So that's certainly some money that's going to you know go toward the franchise now. Whether or not they use that directly for players or just pocket it in the learners' pockets, that's a whole other discussion. But you'd like to think that they're getting uh, plenty of money from that. Uh, re-signing Rendon, the the extra revenue that they'd be getting uh, from jersey sales and, and the fact that they're making a deep playoff runs, generating more interest in the team. You know, I think that the Nationals are certainly a threat to uh, re-sign Rendon. And, you know, a, a lot of people have already written them off, but I think that, you know, if, if Lerner is willing to put his pride aside and, and sign that check, there's no stopping them. They're one of the richest ownership groups in all of baseball. In fact, I believe they're second uh, only behind the Yankees. So at this point, you know, the, the money's there. It's just a factor of whether or not they're willing to do it. As for Strasburg, I fully expect them to bring him back. Uh, he's going to opt out uh, from his deal, probably like Kershaw did last year, uh, just get a reworked contract, re-sign with the team. I don't think there's really any question of that. He loves D.C. He re-signed with the team prior to his walk walk uh, year, uh, right uh, maybe like a month or two into the season. He was going to be the premier pitcher on the market that following offseason. And despite the fact that Scott Boris is his agent, he decided to sign an extension uh, with the team for, for $175 million. So, you know, that kind of shows that he is willing to take somewhat of a hometown discount uh, just to stay in D.C. So I don't think that he's going to be breaking any records by any means with a contract extension, but he'll get a few years added on for sure. So I have a, I have a quick question for you here. Uh, so... No the uh, the Nets could be in a very similar situation to what the Red Sox are in. Um, you know, it sounds like you you think they're a little more flush with cash and willing to to spend it. But let's just say uh, devil's advocate, um, uh, Strasburg opts out just like uh, J.D. Martinez is probably sure. going to do for the Red Sox. And obviously, Rendon. Uh, there's a little bit of a difference here in that the Red Sox have Mookie Betts next year. Um, okay if they choose and uh, a re-sign there, they have to choose between one of one of the two. Let's say both of them do. I mean, the Red Sox obviously have to do that between the two. And, and there's a lot of debate, which more uh, between Strasburg and Rendon, which one's more integral to the, uh, to the team success moving forward. Which one do you have to keep? If, if you have to choose just one, you know, it's a tough question. And I think, uh, you know, if you do, Resign Rendon, you're going to be dealing a lot more money. Uh, so you would have less money to fill the hole in the rotation that would be left by Strasburg leaving. So for that, I, I think they honestly probably resign Strasburg, even though I think Rendon is, is actually probably more valuable to the team just because of how much money he's going to command uh, compared to Strasburg. They've always invested heavily in pitching. They have no problem spending money on pitching. But, you know, who is the, the player that they've signed to the most money uh, as a hitter? It's Jason Worth, and you know he has you know, that contract was signed with him back in 2011. Uh, so since then, they haven't had any major extensions or contracts with position players. They obviously had uh, Ryan Zimmerman signed to a nice deal, but you know that was way back when as well. So they really haven't been in the business uh, of giving position players huge deals. I could 100% see the Nats looking at an area like Mike Mustakis or Josh Donaldson to fill that hole. Uh, they have Carter Keyboom, a young prospect. Uh, who came up for a short cup of coffee earlier this season. They're very excited about what he's going to bring to the table. He plays second base and shortstop, although theoretically could be moved to third. Uh, he, he's a pretty athletic player. 
Uh, I do think that they're going to put him at second, considering Brian Dozier's contract is up after this year. Um, but they have a couple of younger players down in the pipeline um, who they think maybe you know a year or two, two, three years, they might be able to come up and play uh, at the hot corner. Uh, so why not just get a stopgap uh, at third base? Whereas with pitching, the Nationals really don't have any kind of pitching prospects. I mean, Austin Voth, uh, who is actually on their postseason roster right now, hasn't pitched at all. He kind of was a surprise player down the stretch who performed pretty well as a fifth starter. Uh, also, Eric Fetty and Joe Ross are two guys who are in that conversation as well. All of them probably could compete for a fifth starter job, but nobody's going to meet the, meet the level of Strasburg. Uh, so I think that that's probably going to be, you know, what's the most important thing to them just because of the money. I personally, I would not give Mookie Betts that massive deal. I don't believe in spending that kind of money on uh, position players. I'll spend it on pitching all day long, you know, and I would much rather prioritize uh, Strasburg over the two. One uh, candidate that could be interesting for you if the Yankees don't uh, bring him back is Didi Gregorius. I think might be able to slide over to third, so... You know, the the Astros are the perfect example, though, for me. You know, when everybody was going crazy over Harper and Machado, they played it cool, brought in Michael Brantley, a nice bargain guy who ended up being a starter on the All-Star team. And I'd rather, as long as your core is good, and, and you guys is certainly are, you know, those are the types of guys, you know, I, I'd personally rather spend money on and, and then, you know, splurge a little bit with your uh, rotation. Uh, getting over to Kyle, we haven't uh, forgotten about you. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, Marcelo Zuna had big series. Who who are some guys that are going to have to step up for the Cardinals here to kind of try to match the firepower of the Nationals? Everyone? <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, truth be told, the Cardinals, part of the reason that they took off in the second half, there were 20 games over 500 in the second half, was because Mike Schilt, the Cardinals manager, decided to get a little bit more aggressive with the lineup. And that started by moving Dexter Fowler to the top of it and taking Matt Carpenter out of the lineup. Now, that part of that was bringing Tommy Edmond up, using Tommy Edmond more regularly. Now, Tommy Edmond, he had a, like 11 home runs on the regular season. He's not much of a power hitter. I think that that's more of a product of the baseballs than anything. Uh but also, he can hit for a little bit of pop. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, I joked around about it, everyone needs to hit a little bit better. Uh, especially, it's a tough ask doing it against the national starting pitchers as opposed to the Braves starting pitching. But the top of the lineup is going to be the key. More than likely, uh, e- even against Corbin, you're going to see Dexter Fowler and Colton Wong at the top of the lineup. And Colton Wong has been one of the best hitters in baseball since July 2nd, average-wise, on-base percentage-wise, one of the top 10. And it comes down to if Dexter Fowler can get on base, if he can work counts, and what Colton Wong can do to advance him. And then if Ozuna, who is a very streaky hitter, can provide some protection for Paul Goldschmidt, uh, and the two of them can continue to hit against the Nationals like they hit against the Braves. Now, Yadier Molina is a playoff player. Uh, he's always going to swing at the first pitch. I, for the life of me, as someone who has watched Yadier Molina play for 100 years, it feels like, I don't understand why anyone would throw him a... On 
on the first pitch. But people can He's always going to swing at that pitch unless it bounces 75 feet. Again, that would be 15 feet behind the pitcher, uh, 75 feet behind in front of home plate. He's always going to swing at the first pitch, but people still throw him strikes on the first pitch, which blows my mind. But it works for him, and it works for the Cardinals, so God bless. Uh, and then after that, it just comes down to the top of the – again, it just comes down to the top of the line of hitting. Goldschmidt and Ozuna continuing to hit the way that they're hitting and then just praying for the best at the back of the lineup. Uh, Paul DeYoung is overworked, overused. He played in, I think, 60 of the last 60 games. He started 60 of the last 60, hardly got a day's rest throughout the entire season, even though, even though the Cardinals had options. And uh, that's part of the reason why he struggled now. He continues to struggle. And it'll be what version of Matt Carpenter do you get? It's just a matter of everyone clicking on the right cylinders. I, I'm with you. I think that the Nationals lineup is better than the Cardinals. I think if you are betting money in Vegas, you say, yeah, you hedge towards the Nationals. But what I know is the Cardinals have this ability to score runs, and it doesn't make any sense to me sometimes when I look at the lineup the way that that lineup is constructed. Uh, especially with the streaky as Marcelo Zuna is, and Yadier Molina can be, and Paul DeYoung can be, but it always seems to work out for the Cardinals in the raw in the long run. So it's just a matter of is their luck up or is it, it you know, is it still running the table? And I, I guess we're going to find out. The one thing that that I do that stuck with me about that series just three weeks ago between the Cardinals and the Nationals, you know, the Cardinals got Scherzer. Strasburg and Corbin that series and Corbin dominated the Cardinals there he just made the Cardinals look bad in every capacity but Strasburg and Scherzer got worked a little bit because the Cardinals just didn't swing at stuff and they got a base runner on and they moved base runners around the diamond big leadoffs contracting leadoff big leadoff contracting leadoff big leadoff stealing 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 and it was Strasburg in particular. It kept Strasburg on his heels. You could tell Strasburg never got comfortable as soon as he got a, a, a base runner on. And I think the key for the Cardinals, and that's why this top of the lineup with Colton Wong and especially Dexter Fowler is so important. If Dexter Fowler can get on base, if he can work the base pass, just like with Colton Wong, even though Colton Wong's hamstring is a question mark, no one knows what quality it is or how good it is. It looked bad in game one, but looked good in game five. Uh, if they can get on base and they can create a little bit of havoc on the base pass, I think that changes the dynamic of how good the or how dominant the Nationals pitchers can be and how just absent talent-wise the Cardinals' bats can be. Because both of those things are true, but it's also true that the Cardinals have this way of scoring runs. And it it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think it makes sense to the majority of Cardinal fans. Uh, but it happens. So to me, like that's that's what I'm going to be keeping the closest eye on. You look back at Game Five. Mike Fultonevich issues a walk to Dexter Fowler to start Game Five, and I have a firm belief that if Mike Fultonevich strikes out Dexter Fowler to start Game Five, that game goes completely different. But Fowler doesn't swing at anything. He doesn't open up for anything. He gets on base, and then that entire game changes. Now again, Fultonevich is not Scherzer. He's not Strasburg. He's not Corbin. Uh, but the approach via Jeff Albert, the Cardinals uh, hitting coach, who came to the Cardinals via the Astros, 
preaches in these type of situations seems to benefit the Cardinals very well. So, uh, I, you know, I'm with you. I think the Nationals have a better uh, a better lineup, especially if you're constructing it fantasy wise. Uh, but the Cardinals just do this thing where they score runs, and it honestly doesn't make sense to any of us. <laughs> There's also real quick the the note that Mike Maddox, your pitching coach, did come over from Washington a couple of years ago and has worked with several of their pitchers. It's a great point. It's a really great point. I, it's I kind think, of a shame that uh, Lilliquist isn't. I know. Had to go get fired, man. <laughs> yeah, he bad though. He really bad. It it was it was time. It was time. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> well, like when you compare, there are so many like weird little similarities between the Washington Nationals and the St. Louis Cardinals. You know, the Cardinals fired their assistant hitting coach, a Mark Budaska, who is kind of an old school hitting coach. And part of the reason was because Budaska and Jeff Albert, who is the new uh, the new hitting coach, they they conflicted. They had an old school, new school mentality. Budaska leaves, and the Cardinals start scoring runs like they weren't doing before when Budaska was there. Lilliquist leaves, and the pitching seemed to get a little bit better for the Nationals. You know, yep. you talk ownership for the Nationals, having tons of money. The Cardinals, the DeWitt family, they have tons of money. They can spend, they could have bought Bryce Harper. They could have bought, bought Harper and Price, another person I know you're not a big fan, Terry. Uh, Harper and Price <laughs> and Hayward, and still been fine. But they try to tell us that we're a mid-market team, and they can't afford it and all that stuff. Uh, it, you guys, you know, you're in that situation with Rendon. We're kind of in the same situation with Ozuna. Now, Ozuna is not the player Rendon is in any capacity. I'm not trying to say that. But the Cardinals are in an interesting free agent uh, signing period with Ozuna, kind of like the Nationals are with Rendon. There are so many. I think there are just a ton of interesting, fun little similarities between the two teams. A lot of subplots that the National uh, broadcast is going to be able to talk about that really makes this series just a little bit more intriguing because of how similar these two organizations are from top to bottom so that that's where i'm at and i know that i'm all over the place and i apologize for that uh but that's i I think it's just a really great series from top to bottom i really do yeah i mean a lot of nash fans just have some negative feelings toward the cardinals based on that 2012 game but i was just looking through uh the the cardinals uh, roster from that series and position players in that series who hit 250 or better carlos beltron alan Greg, Daniel Descalso, David Freeze, Pete Cosma. Not yeah. a single one of those players is on the team right now uh, with the Cardinals. This is a completely different organization at this point. Uh, the Nationals are a completely different team. I mean, you know, a lot of these players like Soto and Robles and Scherzer, none of them were even there for that game. I mean, you know, all the faces of this organization, and I'm sure, you know, you have Ozuna, you have Goldschmidt, you have Tommy Edmond coming out of nowhere jack flaherty i mean all these guys who were, who were not there in that series so this is it's a brand new uh setup between these two teams and like you said they are very similar uh, one of my favorite stats is both teams had 116 stolen bases this year which was the tied for the national league lead uh so we should be seeing lots of, of, of running on the base path which should be interesting kurt suzuki uh, went into the postseason with a hurt elbow uh and looked pretty bad trying to throw out runners so i fully expect uh, the cardinals to be a team to try and take advantage of that um, but, you know, they, they really are just uh, a lot of fun. They, they've both been underdogs all season. No one uh, was expecting them to win their respective divisions. Obviously, the Nats didn't even do it. Um, but, you know, the, the fact that they're not 100-win ball clubs, but they're making it to the NLCS, I mean, it's a pretty incredible feat. 
Yeah, and watching the watching the uh, Red Sox fan just squirm in his seat when he said Alan Craig. <laughs> I was about to thank you for him because yeah, I have a theory on Alan Craig. Uh, um, the, if you remember the interference game, I think that was Game Three of 2013. Him and uh, Will Middlebrooks, you know, Middlebrooks tripped Craig at the game. end of the game for the win, <laughs> and neither of their careers were ever the same after that they both like went into the toilet so one of them like one of their jujus rubbed off on the other one and i don't know who you want to blame it on but but uh yeah that was uh break if that's okay (laughs) okay he was so disappointing i was so excited about that trade too and uh just didn't work out worked okay you guys made the playoffs the next year with lackey so you know I, you know. Little known fact here, Terry. I actually sat on a plane next to Will Middlebrooks once. One time. He was with the Brewers still, rehabbing. So I'm in an airport, there sat next to him on a plane. Little known fact. Another uh, fun fact for you. Will Middlebrooks has me blocked on Twitter. And I never tweet at athletes. I don't. I harass beat writers incessantly. But I, I, I don't touch the athletes. I don't want to be that guy. So... So someone close to him got a hold of one of my tweets. I probably said about him, and David Price did the same thing. I never tweeted at him. He's got me blocked. Kurt Schilling, same thing. So I don't know. But Will well, the Middle. The only thing that matters is does Jose Batista follow you? I don't know. He follows he, everybody. Everyone. I heard. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I remember. I think I was. 13 when he followed me on twitter and i was so excited until i realized that he followed like two hundred thousand people and i wasn't special at all yeah the the two that i have that i'm like really proud of and i they never like my tweets but they do follow me is uh dennis eckersley and don orsillo <laughs> the broadcasters so you know so i think dennis eckersley liked my tweet i said if Giancarlo Stanton came to Boston, this was before he landed in New York, doing that whole win dance repeat thing, he'd look pretty goofy, you know, doing that with Mookie and uh, Ben Attendee, you know, being seven feet tall. But yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so one takeaway, you know, I really thought, I thought the Braves were probably going to win Game Five, even though I had picked the Cardinals before the series and Fulton Evich just completely shut them down and it was hilarious to see uh, I think it was Golden or maybe it was Fowler getting bunted over you know they're playing small ball just trying to get whatever they can because it might be the only run they score against Fulton Evich and then seven minutes later there were 10 runs on the board so anything can happen here and uh, you know I do expect it's going to be a fun series so why don't we uh, wrap up the show right now with our official uh, picks? And I, I do expect a, l- a lot of party line kind of, you know, action here, which is totally good, and it's really what I expect. But put put a, a game score on the series, Matt. How do you see it? Well, I have a confession here, fellas. Uh-huh. Uh, at the start of the year, opening day, for the past like five years, I've just tweeted out my predictions for the season, picking who will win each division, who will win each playoff round, all the way through the World Series, uh, plus award winners and things like that. And this year, my preseason prediction was Cardinals over Yankees, uh, uh-huh. which at the time was was considered a, a pretty you know out there pick, but 
Uh, they're both among the final four teams, and it's still possible. So I either have to go against my team or go against my pick, and I'm really torn uh, at this point. But, um, you know, screw being right. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing it out the window. I'm picking the Nats. Uh, I, I've just After what we've seen Strasburg do uh, in this postseason so far, it gives me every reason to believe that the Nats can win both games he starts, which includes the game against Flaherty, Game 3. That is a game to circle in this series, maybe the most pivotal game. It'll be the first one in D.C. Could be a huge tone setter uh, for how the rest of it goes. So that's going to be important. Scherzer has been able to shake off his demons, or at least from what we've seen, uh, and put in some solid performances. Uh, you know, the pitching is what's going to win this series, in my opinion. And the Nats have got it. They've got, you know, they play a similar style of baseball that the, the Cardinals do, except the Nats have the second best on base percentage in baseball. So they kind of just do it more. Uh, as, as far as an offensive standpoint. So I think they're going to be able to rack up the hits. Uh, they, they draw a lot of walks. They're an old team. They play with a, an old-school flair. They don't, they're not afraid to do small ball and, and bump a couple of guys over. You saw Adam Eaton do it a little too much uh, in that NLDS series to the point where it got pretty annoying. But, uh, you know, I, I have to go with the veteran experience here uh, and, and infused with the young flair. I'm picking the Nats, and uh, I think I'll go Nats in six. Ooh. Outstanding. So, Kyle, uh, go ahead and uh, counterpick. You know, thinking about the pitching in this series, uh, that Annabelle Sanchez start in, in game one, I, I think a lot of Cardinals fans have written that one off. And I am, I am, I think I'm nervous about that start. You know, I just, I, I the way that Annabelle pitches, I, I can't help but think that the Cardinals scuffle against it. Uh, I, I think the series goes to seven. What I said on the little show that I do uh, earlier tonight is I think if it goes to seven, just because I like the Cardinals bullpen just a little bit more, I think that benefits the Cardinals. But, uh, you know, you talk about game, game two is fun to me, too, because you talk about Scherzer versus Wainwright. And Scherzer is a local kid pitching in St. Yep. Louis. And his yep. dad, dad'll be at this game. His dad wasn't at the game when he pitched in the day, like the Thursday day game, just a couple weeks back. His dad was like, working or something couldn't get off i couldn't remember what this anyways his dad will be there his family will be there i'm sure he'll be riled up it, the only person who's more st louis on either of these two teams than max scherzer is adam wainwright even though adam wainwright isn't from st louis he's it's just like game two and game it, three yeah it embodies him exactly man exactly and i just think the pitching matchups in game two and game three is really what it comes down to just how how 2016 is Adam Wainwright because if he's 2016 Adam Wainwright and Grant he was a bullpen pitcher then and that was a whole thing but if he's if he's dominant Adam Wainwright that's going to be just an amazing game uh, and then thinking about game three and piggybacking off of that with Strasburg and how Stras how good Strasburg and Flaherty is and I, I I don't have as much faith maybe in the Cardinals as most Cardinal fans have I think it goes to seven I think the Cardinals win and i think anyone who's followed me on twitter wouldn't believe that i just said that uh, but i i think that i have two area i have one area of concern and that's mike schiltz mike schiltz is loyal and i think if you get to the seventh inning and adam wainwright is pitching well he won't pull him and i'll get himself into trouble because of it. it we saw that with carlos martinez i think that those loyalty issues might end up biting Mike Schilt in the in the butt. It didn't. It definitely didn't game three, and it might happen in the long run. It just depends on how willing Mike Schilt is to pull the trigger. 
and go with the right choice because if he doesn't do that, then I think the Nationals win almost handedly. But I, I you know, I thought after Game Three when Adam Wainwright pitched a gem in St. Louis and Carlos Martinez blew it and Schilt overmanaged and made terrible pitching decision after terrible pitching decision after Wainwright, including with Wainwright, that that series was over and somehow the Cardinals walked away from it. So I, I'll say, despite all that, the Cardinals win in seven. And uh, when the Nationals win in four, I'll slide into uh, <laughs> slide into some DMs and say, "Hey, good work." Uh, so I've I've got uh, I've got this game or uh, this series going seven games. I uh, I really think you know really the Nationals pitching staff is is. It's one of the best in baseball. Let's be honest. And when they're on, they're tough. I mean, I, those guys and and the Astros have two dominant staffs. Um, you know, I I think they have the advantage there. I think they have the advantage in offense a little bit. You got a couple thirty four home run guys and Rendon and and Goldschmidt on on each team. But you know, outside of Ozuna, who had twenty nine home runs, there's there's not as much power there. You've got uh, Soto, who had, uh, I'm sorry, there were three guys with 34 home runs. Uh, Soto had 34 as well. I just think that Washington has a little bit more power there. Flip side, you you look at, um, you know, there's a little bit of that veteran presence. It's been at the World Series uh, a number of times before with uh, with Yadier, Molina, and, and Wainwright. I think that presence it plays big. That's what carries is seven games. Um, you know, once you get to that seventh game, even probably the sixth game, uh, you know, I get what you're saying with the, the Cardinals bullpen being a little bit better. But once you get to that point, all, all bets are off and your starting rotation becomes your bullpen. I mean, we saw that with the Red Sox last year. I mean, most of their bullpen consisted of Porcello and Price and Sal and these guys coming out whenever Valdi with that heroic performance. So, I could see the Nationals going that way with that sick bullpen or uh, that sick rotation they have. I'm giving it to them in seven. I think this is going to be a hell of a series, um, and I'm hopeful that you know I, I like both these teams. I I have no problem with either one of them. Um, part of me I think wants to see that that Nationals rotation up against that Astros rotation in the World Series. That would be one hell of a World Series. So I'm going Nationals in seven. Um, that's my pick. I don't have a dog in the fight, and now that Bryce Harper is gone, I have no ill will towards the Nationals. So you know, <laughs> I uh, it seems to be the trend. Yeah, I could weird that fans of other teams are suddenly like rooting for the Nats because they've always been the most hated team simply because of Harper. So it's just weird to like have people actually rooting for him now. Yeah, I just. I, yeah, now that he's gone, I'm glad he's the Phillies problem, and that's, you know, kind of a rough town, and I think they're meant for each other, but um, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go with my gut here, you know, the, I like the Cardinals, I, I don't know what it is, I mean, Jack Flaherty is awesome, he's gonna get two starts, he's, I think he might be the best pitcher on both teams at this point, you know, Miles Michaelis, I, I liked what I saw in game one. Uh, Adam Wainwright, I just, 
I love the Mike Schilt speech. I just feel like the the team has just kind of bought into him, and you know they're rising to the occasion. And I'm gonna go with them in uh, seven games. They they also do have home field advantage. I, I don't really know that that's really been an issue for for any team other than maybe the Yankees. You know, probably had a edge there over the Twins, but. Um, I'm just kind of I'm just gonna ride it out with the Cardinals. I, I like that rotation, and um, you know Wainwright can go deep, Flaherty can go deep. So Corbin, uh, you know I really don't know, you know what he's gonna. I mean he's the game four starter, so that's gonna be his only start, and then probably some bullpen work uh, in there, but. Going with my gut, so we're split. We're we're split amongst the four of us, and I just I think it's going to be an epic series. I think every game is going to be competitive, and we were talking on the podcast, you know, with with the regular crew, you know, what our favorite non Red Sox postseasons were, and you know, twenty sixteen is a is a big one. You know, the Indians were fun to watch all the way through. So were the Cubs, and. Uh, this one has just been so much fun as well, you know, and uh, so, yeah. And uh, actually, before we do go, uh, Matt, why don't you uh, just uh, let everyone know where they can find your stuff, you know, throughout the, the rest of the playoff run. And uh... Yeah, so uh, mostly writing for Federal Baseball, the, the SB Nation Nationals page. Uh, plug my podcast, Reasonably Outrageous, uh, that I host alongside – I'd Stampede Blue, which is the Colts uh, SB Nation page. Uh, writer Blake Pace, the two of I have a podcast talking all four major sports on there. Uh, you can also find some of my work just about D.C. sports in general, NBC Sports Washington, uh, where I work on weekends. So uh, I'm kind of a little bit of everywhere. Uh, I'm also a news reporter in Charlottesville, Virginia. If you care about local politics, you can check that out as well. So um, lots of different places, but go ahead, Google me. Find me on Twitter at MattWyrickFBB. Uh, and you'll find all the links to my work. And uh, Kyle, go ahead. Where can everyone find your work? Probably underneath a bridge on Interstate 40 <laughs> right by. Uh, you can find me at Birds on the Black. I write about the minor leagues, the Cardinals, and specifically for Birds on the Black. Uh, you can find me at Twitter at KYLER416. Uh, I basically just say crazy shit and hope people don't like turn like just turn their pitchforks against me. Uh, but I also do a little show called Prospects After Dark, and it started as a show that was supposed to talk about the Cardinals' uh, organizational depth and their prospects because I watched three minor league games a night. Like, even even tonight I watched a game from June, a, a rookie league game from June because I've got a thing about minor league baseball. I love minor league baseball. Uh, but anyways, it was the, the Prospects After Dark was designed to talk about prospects, and now we talk about just the weirdest stuff that grown ups and probably honestly underage people talk about no i, I the grown-ups talk about like it's just a really weird show i do it through i do it through twitter uh kyler416 and through periscope which is a lot of fun we get together we talk about the cardinals we talk about life we talk about stuff it's a huge awesome amazing respectful like family environment uh that's super weird if you're into weird families <laughs> and that's where you can find me but check out birds on the black like I am the low man on the totem pole of Birds on the Black. Everything that they do at Birds on the Black is amazing. I'm just some jerk who writes, and I can't believe they tolerate me. It's really what that is. 
I kind of feel the same way sometimes. Yeah, I'm always at odds with, you know, Red Sox fans and whatever because, like I said, I'm not a homer. So I think they really want to harm me sometimes, though. You know, like, it's like, yeah. I And I have been approached uh, locally by someone that I wasn't real comfortable with on Twitter, and luckily he didn't kill me. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, I just want to thank you guys for coming on. Uh, you know, I, you know, I was kind of brainstorming what type of a playoff show I wanted to do, and if I could bring in people from other markets, uh, you know, I that was kind of my goal. And so you guys kind of made that happen. I really appreciate it. I love talking to fans, you know, from other markets. When I go to Fenway, I don't even talk to Red Sox fans. I find the away guys, and I want to know what's going on with them and who their top prospects are, and and uh all that stuff so it's uh it's nice that we can do it and uh again i appreciate it immensely absolutely thanks for having me on thank you so much uh, all right you're welcome so this will be up right away i'll tag you guys in it and uh and uh enjoy enjoy the postseason i hope you guys at least get a game seven out of it and you know so it'll be a ride all right. Yeah. Take Axe in game seven. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Have a good night, guys. You too. Take care, guys. Episode, I think that was episode 174, but, you know, what a, you know, roller coaster week with two game five, three, actually. You know, I, I keep forgetting about the Rays and the Astros. And, um,. But, yeah, a lot of fun. Kind of glad the Astros won tonight because I think they got the best chance to keep the Yankees out of the World Series. But, anyway, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. We will be on uh, Friday night to do the American League side. So, uh, if you enjoyed this one, I'm sure you'll enjoy that one as well. I'm going to try to do the same format if I can get you know, some people from either the Astros or the Yankees on. And I think Liz will be doing that show with me. So uh, have a good uh, Friday and rest of your weekend. Enjoy the playoffs. And uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow night. Take care. Friday night. Excuse me. That'll be tonight for some of you. Okay, I'm leaving. Bye. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Playing it a line drive, left field, Ben Intendi coming on, dives, and then he makes the catch, he did, he got it. Here we go, time to party, right here, 3-2. High the away, he crushed it, it's a grand slam. Swing and a miss, frankly, it's over, the Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman.